Okay, good evening. Hold on one second. Good evening, thank you for coming. We are um, here, I mean, I haven't been giving a class for two weeks, I apologize for that, and uh, we're back up and running. Anybody that wants to dedicate this year can do so after the class, please let me know. Guten Chodesh to all, and it's a time of the year, Chodesh Elul, in which we need to see the good in ourselves and the good in the world and the good in each other. And today's class is going to be all about finding uh, the good even in the most impossible of situations. Even when things look really bad and really when there's a, 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 an extreme darkness in terms of a human being, uh, yet the ability to see the good. It's interesting that um, someone just told me last night that uh, in Tanya, uh, the the Alter Rebbe when he starts the, the, in his introduction to the Sefer, he says that he's talking to people that he knows who poured out their hearts to him and revealed to them to him all their deep secrets, which they were struggling in and they came for advice and to them he's writing this book. So the Alter Rebbe uses the term There was affectionate words amongst us. We discussed things affectionately. Why does the Alter Rebbe have to add that he's he's, he's talking? Um, that these are conversations that he had affectionately with people, that they came to him and with great love they discussed. So uh, this person told me that he heard, I don't know from who, but uh, that that tells you that if every page of Tanya, the Altareb is talking, and since those conversations were went into the book, it, it means that every every word of Tanya and every parak or every chapter um, one has to sense the affection, has to sense the love. And if you're not seeing the love, you're not reading it well. You're not getting it. Sometimes it, there could be certain chapters or certain passages that might seem to be harsh. But you haven't cracked it open if you don't feel the warmth and the love. And I told him, of course, if the Altar Rebbe said, I'm explaining the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov's entire being is the love of the Jewish people. And that's Hasidus, is love. In this particular uh, talk that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight, it's a talk from the Rebbe. Um, the Rebbe extends that obviously to all of the Torah. The Torah is God's love. It's a love letter from God to the Jewish people. And sometimes you read harsh psukim or harsh laws and harsh things and it comes across cold and, and maybe sometimes even a little bit cruel and, and, and so on and so forth. Is because we haven't cracked it open deep enough. And when we crack it open and we get to the core of it, we find the love. And here's an example of... Uh, the, the greatest love to the Jewish people that one can crack open like something really dark and yet suddenly be awed by the enormous depth of, of finding, finding the, the, the nakuda, finding the point. The basic question is, is there ever a, 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 a person who cannot be redeemed? That's the question. Is there ever a person who sunk so low that is unredeemable, unfixable? If someone has done such heinous crimes, if someone has done such monstrous act, um, do, we, do we ever reach a point where we say, Fartik, gone, this person is a goner forever. Can that be? And the answer is when it comes to the Jewish people, and as much as a Jew is concerned, um, uh, all unholiness and all evil is foreign to the Jew. It's, 
And if a Jew has been infected by it, and it's not you know, turning away or closing our eyes to the facts, it's not trying to make believe that, uh, that uh, evil or bad things aren't happening, but it's about the understanding and appreciation that when someone is doing something bad, it is in addition to their essence. The essence of the soul, which is a piece of God from above, is infinitely and essentially good. And all unholiness is, a, is an attachment. Now, uh, one can pile a whole lot of junk and a whole, a whole lot of gook, and so much gook, and so much, so much, so much, so much gook, and so much junk that you don't even see the good. But it has to be there because it's the essence. If it wouldn't be the essence, that means if goodness would be something that we would have to choose, we would have to um, uh, learn, we would have to uh, inculculate, we would have to uh, absorb, then, then it's possible that someone just made the wrong choices and did not choose good, and, or, or maybe chose good once in their life, but then let go of it. But if, if the underlying core and the essence is good, then it is there. It's possible for it to be concealed, and the question is how concealed can it be? And when it is absolutely concealed, do, is it dismi- can we dismiss it as if it's non-existent, or do we have to recognize it even then it's there? So that's really where we're going to go at today. Regarding a phenomenal, uh, this week's Parsha Shoftim, which, Parsha Shoftim deals with many various um, laws pertaining to communal affairs. Uh, we, we talk about like, the king, we talk about prophets, we talk about uh, uh, people that are c- uh, communal institutions or people of, of, of higher authority. That's what Shoftim means. Governorship, higher authority. And of course, there is the laws of the Beisdin. The main mitzvah of the parsha is that we should set up courts. And we know there was a whole court system in Israel, and that's the way it has to be. It's one of the seven Noahide laws that there has to be court systems across the world. But particularly amongst the Jewish people, there was a very importance and a significance to a court system. And uh, at a hierarchy, there were simple courts in which you brought small matters, monetary disputes would go to a Beisdin, a simple Beisdin of three individuals. And then, in order to judge uh, things of greater severity, they would have to go to a larger court. Usually the larger court meant that the rabbis were of greater stature. These were higher judges. And they came in clusters or groups of 23. And they were set up across the entire land of Israel. There was the various different courts that were set up. And they can judge even cases when there's 23, even cases of capital punishment. When, um, uh, but then there was, atop of these courts, there was one superior court. Even in the judge, even in the courts of 23, there was a very few levels because there was the regular courts in, 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 across the land. And then there was another, I think, two of them that were at the, at, the, uh, at the temple in Jerusalem and at the entrance of the temple, two courts of 23, which means that they were on a much higher stat- status, a much higher level of, of court, even though they still number the same number. And that would mean that if one of the courts anywhere in the land of Israel had a dilemma, came to an impasse, or came to a situation where they, they felt that they were inadequate and they couldn't resolve it, they would send the case up to one of these higher courts in Jerusalem, and then this, this higher court would send it to an even higher court, and then eventually would reach the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court sat all the way inside, very, very in close, very, in, in very close proximity to the to the sanctuary itself, to the uh, half the room was actually holy that you can sit there. It was in the other half of the room where the Sanhedrin would sit. And that was basically the final jurisdiction amongst the Jewish people was the court, the high court. Now, 
Um, as I mentioned, these courts had the ability to judge even cases of, even the lower court, even the courts of 23, had the ability to judge cases revolving um, capital punishment and the like. Now here's a very interesting halacha. The law regarding a court case is, if someone committed a serious crime, which is punishable by death, and there would be a trial, and um, the, the way it would work is, you know, in American law, in order to convict someone, you need to have all of the jury convict. If you'd have, a, if it's a hung jury, if you don't have every, in a, in a capital case, if you don't, you don't have the entire uh, jury convicting, then you can't, uh, then, then it doesn't, it's, it's not considered. In, in uh, Torah law, it's not that way. We have the concept called achre rabim lahatos. We follow the majority. So if let's say 15 judges say that the person is guilty and then there's, the, there's 23, so 15 is eight judges who, who want to acquit, then the person is found guilty and they can be given the punishment. Um, to, to acquit, you actually need a lesser majority. That's the way the Torah is called Torah's chesed, it's a Torah of kindness. So for an acquittal, you need um, a, split, a split, these judges are split. Now first of all, you have to understand something. We're not dealing over here with a jury selected by just ordinary people. These were very great rabbis who studied the law, knew really well, and they were the judges for the cases. Amongst them, they took a vote. They would deliberate, and after the deliberation, they took a vote. And if there were 12, for instance, that convict, that, that um, acquit, and 11 that um, are, 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 are finding guilty, then the person is acquitted. But if the opposite, if 12 uh, say find the defendant guilty and 11 say innocent then he's, this person is acquitted because you do not have you need to have at least a majority of two that's one of the laws so again we follow the majority to convict we need two more in the majority and uh, we follow the majority of one when it comes to to acquit now to an acquittal now there is another interesting halach and that is that um, if, it, it would almost seem contrary to the way we see things in, in secular law, and that is that if you have a court where every single one of the judges hands down the verdict is, is unanimous, there's a unanimous vote to convict, then, now, here's the way I always understood it, and this is the way I think most people understand it, but after doing a little bit the due diligence in this today, I found out that I was always understanding it wrong, so it's interesting. And that is that every, it's, a, it's a common understanding in Jewish law, and that's the way we hear it as children, is that everybody convicts the guy is, is off the hook. Because we don't accept a unanimous vote to convict. In other words, once we have a unanimous vote to convict, that means something seems to be something's fishy here. Somebody should have found some kind of a merit. Someone should have called for an acquittal. That's why I always understood it. But as we're going to see today, that's not the, that's not what it means. Again, at least according to Maimonides, at least to many many opinions, what it means that's true. That idea that you can't have an unanimous conviction, but that's only if the initial state of the judges. See what happens is. A case is opened up, the, the evidence is presented, and the deliberations begin. If immediately at the beginning of the deliberations, everybody is arguing that this guy needs to be, is guilty, from the very onset, there isn't a, anybody that's suggesting some kind of a, 
some kind of a merit, some kind of a vindication, you don't have anybody making that suggestion, then the law is that this person is set free. So again, unlike the way I always understood it, I always understood it that, that it has to be in the end that everybody acquit. No, it's not, that's not what it means. It means that if in the beginning, the onset, as they began the deliberations, they looked around and they asked the, the, the everybody, what, what do you say? And everybody said, guilty, guilty, guilty. It's clear that this person is, is there's no merit at all. Then this case is considered faulty and uh, the person is acquitted. Um, however, if at the beginning there were various different voices, there were suggestions to acquit, and there was deliberations, and throughout the day, we're going to see soon that the deliberations have to go at least for two days. What I mean is you start a case, you can never close a case and convict in the very same day. It always has to, when it comes to a capital case, this is not regarding monetary issues, when it comes to a capital case in which someone's life is on the line, the court cannot convict on the very same day, even if they started the case early morning and they had seven hours to sit and talk and discuss and they all came to unanimous vote or whatever, we came to a, a vote, the, the majority says the convict doesn't work that way. They have to, they have to stay up, they have to um, um, delay the verdict, the final verdict to the next day. That night, none of the judges are allowed to go to sleep. They have to be up all night long and they hang out you know, in groups of two discussing the case back and forth and back and forth and only on the next day are they able to, and they, they do, do they take a vote again. And then when they take the vote again, now, so my mistake that I always understood was that if everybody convicts the next day, then the guy is, is vindicated. No, it doesn't work that way. I, in the, again, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure the way it is that I'm, if, if there's an anonymous vote to convict, it's okay. The person could be put, punished and given capital punishment as long as there was deliberation, which means there were those who suggested there were a few, a few judges, it could be one, it could be two, it could be three, whatever it is, a couple of the judges were arguing for acquittal. If in the end they were convinced, they accepted the arguments of their colleagues, and in the end they agreed to convict, that is actually a sign of, uh, of, of true guilt. The problem is when the beginning of the case, the opening of the case, when the opening of the case is purely to convict, um, that's when there is a problem. Let me read to you the Rambam. This is the statement of Maimonides. Sanhedrin shepaschu kulam bedine nefashes. When the Sanhedrin opens up, when it comes to a capital punishment, when the Sanhedrin, which are the great court, open up and immediately everybody sees it in, in, uh, in, uh, uh, sees it negatively, uh, sees, sees, sees uh, guilt on this individual. Tchila, tchila, the Ramam emphasizes in the beginning, va'amru kulon chayiv, and immediately their first notion is, Everybody is, 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 is seeing over here um, um, the guilt. Potur, then the person is set free. Ad Until, unless, which would mean like unless you have a partial, a partial, what we would call a hung jury, you need to have at least 
few of them that argue that the person should be vindicated, that he should be excused. Sheyahapchu b'schusay. Yahapchu b'schusay means they should make arguments to acquit, for acquittal. And then, v'yirbu ha'machayvin. And then after you have those arguments, they go to vote and the majority convicts. And only then, and then the person is put to death. That's the teaching, the halacha, this is the Perek Chi, this is the ninth chapter, the first halacha in Rambam. Now, where is the Rambam source for this? The source of the Rambam is a passage in the Gemara, Tractate Sanhedrin, Daf Yud Zayin. So the Talmud and Sanhedrin brings this idea. Rambam obviously is, not obviously, the Rambam is changing the words a little bit. And as we're going to see, when you take a little, when you really look carefully at the nuances of Maimonides, of the Rambam, it's, it seems like minor little differences, but Torah you can't learn as minor little differences. Every little minor little change uh, is indicative of, of sometimes a very, very, very big, uh, uh, of, of a complete different approach. So let's see what the Talmud says, how the Gemara says. We'll analyze the Gemara versus the Rambam, and then we'll see, uh, uh, then we'll uncover the, the amazing godliness of what's going on over here. Okay, so the Talmud says like this, um, of Kahana, Sanhedrin, let me read the Gemara. This is, this is on Daf Yud Zayin, uh, page 17, on the first side of the, of the page in Sanhedrin, all the way on the bottom. Omer of Kahana, of Kahana says, Sanhedrin, Shero, Kulon Lechoiva, a Sanhedrin, that saw, all of them saw to convict. Poitrin Oisai. Again, if in the initial, again, and the, uh, uh, so this is consistent with the Rambam. Rambam says, Sheposchu Kulam, that they all opened. Again, the main thing is we're looking at the onset, the beginning of the trial. If the first leaning of all the judges is to convict, and that's how you can see it in the words of the Gemara. Sanhedrin shero'u kulam. That all of them see. L'chayva to convict. Convict. Poitren oisai. The person is, is liberated. He is vindicated. He is freed. Ma'itama. He's exempt. What's the reason? So the Gemara gives an interesting reason. Kivan the Gemira. Since we learned there is a halacha. Even the Gemiri, since we learned Ta'alacha. What's Ta'alacha? Halon is din. There is a law, as I mentioned earlier, that you can't open and close a, day, a, court, a, 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 a case in the same day. You must, um, a, 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 a verdict must always wait till the next day. Again, only in capital, capital cases. Halon as din, that you have to um, lodge, you have to leave it overnight. And the reason for that is in order to find merit. You have to be able to find merit. And these and these people, they can't see for him any more merit. Basically, the way the Mepharshim explained this to me is as follows. There is a halacha that says you can't convict the same day. You have to leave overnight. What's the point of leaving it overnight? So they can deliberate. What's the point of the deliberation? So you should perhaps be able to find some kind of a um, virtue. That's why they're staying overnight, to be able to find the virtue. Now, that only works if you have different opinions. And again, we're see, we have to always, we're gonna follow the majority, but you have to give a chance for the minority to convince the majority. If you have a minority that has some kind of argument that tries to, 
that, is, that wants to for acquittal, they're going to be up all night and they're going to try and show and bring proof. And, and through that, they might convince the majority to follow them. So you have a chance for acquittal. The Torah is a Torah of chesed. So we're seeking in the end not to put this guy to death. Okay? So if we're going to work and work and work and work, and you have what to work with. When do you have what to work with? When you have initially two sides. But if you opened up the case and you have an immediately unanimous vote to, to convict, so what are you going to be up there all There's no point waiting all night. There's no one to argue. So then, 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 so that means that leaving it overnight is not an option here because it's not, it's not carrying out what being overnight is all about. There should be all night deliberations, but there's nothing to deliberate over here. So therefore, and since, since you can't deliberate all night, and that's, and that's part of the, 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 the checklist, that's part of the qualifications in order to be able to, to convict a criminal, it requires an, an overnight deliberation. And over here, technically you don't have an overnight deliberation. Fartik, so the Gemara says, it's the case dismissed. Case dismissed. That's it. So in a sense... In this case, it would kind of work out that the that the the gravity is a major thing. The gravity, or what's the word? No, the gravity. I think is the word, right? The seriousness. Gravity or gravity? Gravity. Yeah. Okay. The, no, it's gravity. This one. The gravity of the of the of the of the sin is actually working for the guy's benefit to get him off the hook. In other words, because what he did was so clear-cut evil or bad or, or terrible, and no one can even come up with any excuse, that itself sets him free. Because there's nothing to deliberate. There's no deliberation. You don't, ha you don't have a fear of deliberation. That's the point. And because that's not there, you now it doesn't mean the guy's off the hook and he's on the street. I just want to clear that up. And that means that the punishment that the Torah is given, the execution that was supposed to be, that can't be, um, it can't be administrated. Bayesden has different ways that they can, they can incarcerate the person, they can punish him in many other ways. It's not like they leave a, a, a menace, a danger. If you know and you have proof that this guy did something very, very bad, there's other punishments. But we're talking about the administer the punishment of the Torah. It requires an overnight deliberation. Overnight deliberation means that there's two sides to deliberate. So they have to start off with, with at least a minority suggesting innocence. And if you don't have that, Case is closed from the beginning. It's off. It's a non-starter. That's the idea. That's what the Gemara says. Um, now, there is two ways of understanding this halach. Okay? I was, I was reading this with my son-in-law. Uh, I was having a hard time understanding. I'll I, 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 I admit I started a little late today. But I'll also admit I'm, very, I'm busy with Baruch Hashem. Some really, really good things. Uh, to work to bring Mashiach, and that's I'm um, fully occupied <laughs> in something huge that we're trying to do. Bezer Hashem in a few weeks, global. It's Mamish taking away all my brain power and everything I have. Uh, but on the uh, so I got a little late to this year. So when I was sat down with my son, I said I need help. Let's do this together because if I'm not going to hash this out with someone, I won't be able to uh, present tonight. So we sat down, and he's in law school. So he, uh, he, he gave me the terminology that would really work. <laughs> which I, so he said, the, the question over here that we're dealing with is, uh, is the defect that we're dealing with a problem, is it a procedural, a procedural um, problem or is it a jurisdiction problem? 
In other words, there's two ways of seeing the, the dilemma over here. What the fault is. Is it a procedural fault or is it a... I'm going to explain. A procedural, fault, a procedural fault would mean there's some technical glitch over here. What's the problem? There is a halacha. What's the halacha? To kill someone, for the basin to execute an individual, there needs to be a full night deliberation. Full night deliberation doesn't mean sitting up all night. It means deliberating all night. And deliberation can only be, as we said earlier, when there's two sides. If there's no two sides, then there's no, nothing to deliberate, nothing to deliberate. There's no, they don't have an all night um, um, awakened uh, discussion on this thing. And then on the list that is needed in order to be able to send this person to the execution room, in this case it was outside, not in room, but in order to do that, you need to make a checklist. You have to check off one, two, three, four, five. One of the five things cannot be checked. Case dismissed. That's called a procedural problem. There's something wrong with this psak din. This psak din cannot be handed down. Psak din means the verdict cannot be hand, handed down. Another way of understanding it is much deeper than that. That's a bigger problem. And that is, there is a halacha called v'shafta ha'eda v'hetzila ha'eda. Shafta Eidah V'etzila Eidah means that um, we learn that's a pasuk that says that there has to be a Shafta Eidah, the, the court needs to judge and the court needs to save. So Chazal learned out from that, from this statement, of, from this pasuk, I think it's in Parshas Masay, it's a few weeks ago in the pasuk, in the pasuk not in Parshas Shoftim. The Shafta Eidah V'etzila Eidah is that every base that has to have components of of Choiv and Zakai. Choiv and Zakai means guilt and innocence. There has to be a discussion of guilt and innocence. If everybody in the court is seeing guilt, then you don't have the component of, 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 of at least it had to be in the mix that the Beisden is seeing some kind of a some kind of a, of a, of a, of a, of, a, of a innocence, some kind of a, of a, of a, of a, of a possibility for acquittal. So why is then the Gemara pinning it on being up all night? Being up all night is not the issue over here. Being up all, all night is only a facilitator that facilitates the idea that they're giving both sides fair time. In other words, they're giving the the, the possibility for. For, for not rushing to judgment, and they're giving the possibility for acquittal uh, its, its, its due respect. So by forcing them to be up all night, it means that they're forcing them to really, if there is some kind of a possibility for acquittal, that they're really paying attention to it, maybe they're going to be able to broaden it, maybe they're going to be able to expand it, maybe they're going to be able to convince everybody, and so on and so forth. The point over here is that you can't have a one-sided court that only sees bad, that only sees negative. You can't find the virtue, you can't find the good. That's the problem. Now, if this basin sat down, that means if these judges sat down and they only have a left eye and they don't have a right eye in this situation, they can't see chesedig, they can only see gevuradig, so they're lacking in their, in their ability to be abased in this case. They can be all great rabbis. They can be all perfect rabbis. They can be tzaddikim. They can be great scholars. They can be everything. Nothing wrong with them per se that they did something wrong. But still, 
they don't have two eyes in looking at this. The Torah requires a chesed eye and a gevura eye, a a a a a a a a an exempting eye and a 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 discriminating eye or a a a a what's the other word? An incriminating eye. Two eyes need to be presented over here. So the fact when the Gemara says that they can't be up all night, the Gemara is dealing with a deeper problem. Again, it's not a tech, it's not a procedural issue. It's an issue with jurisdiction. Which would be similar. Let me give an example. Ex- uh, ex- in other words, there's something lacking in the Beisden. The Beisden is not qualified. It would be similar that if someone commits a crime. I have an example. Someone commits a crime in, um, in San Diego County. And a court over here in, 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 in uh, Los Angeles is trying it. They have no rights over this person. They're, they don't have jurisdiction over this criminal act. This criminal act happened in a different county. It belongs to a different jurisdiction. They're exempt from it. They can't do it. Not that they're a bad court, but they have no jurisdiction over this person. If, if, if this is a case coming from, 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 uh, from Arizona, California judges don't have, unless it's a federal crime, so the federal judges can take care of it, a federal court. The question is, who's under your jaw? Who do you have authority over? So for instance, there is halacha, another halacha, according to Rabbi Akiva, not everybody agrees to it. If judges witness the crime, I'll give another example. If judges themselves witnessed a crime, get the judges, they themselves saw the criminal act, they can't act as a judge. A witness cannot be a judge. Now you'll say, hold it, they would be the most qualified because they don't need to hear, they don't have to like collect evidence, they don't have to hear from witnesses, they don't have to be, they saw it with their own eyes. And if the guy is a qualified judge and he knows the law, why can't he? Why can't he be serving as a judge? And the answer is, as we said earlier, to qualify as a judge, you need to have a right eye and a left eye. And these people, when you saw the crime, when you saw the blood being spilled, someone murdering someone else, you walk, God forbid, a person watched it with their own eyes, they cannot see any kind of merit and any kind of vindication. They're disqualified as a, as a judge. So similar to that would be the case. So there's, again, two ways of looking at this. This is a technical issue or this is a broader issue, a bigger problem. It's possible, the Rebbe wants to argue, that it's possible that there would be a halachic difference between the two. Again, possible, we're not saying this is an absolute, a possible that there would be a, a, a practical difference between the two, and that is what happens if initially everybody sees guilt. Everybody, everybody, everybody sees guilt and the case is dismissed, but then um, a while later, Let's not say the same day, let's say a while later, the case is brought back again, and they sit down a second time. He want, the want, he wants to, his argument would be, if, it was a, if it's a procedural, if there's something wrong with their psak din, that the psak, meaning the, 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 the verdict is faulty. It's, so the, 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 the disqualification was the disqualification of the verdict, not of the, not of the judges. So it's possible that the judges could see the case a second time. And re, it can be a retrial. It doesn't have to go to a different court. The same court can look at it again. Because there was never a defect in the, in the judges. It wasn't dismissed because of the judges. It was dismissed because of the verdict. The verdict was dismissed, not the judges were dismissed. If, however, we're going to say the problem is that they, they saw the case wrong, the very fact that they all saw guilty makes them... 
disqualified as judges in jurisdiction, they are, they, 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 there is a problem in their jurisdiction over the case. So it's likely to say that they can't see it, they can't hear this case again. Because they were disqualified. It's something in them. In Rambam, this is, this, is, this is what the Talmud, this is what the Gemara says. Um, I'm not going to go into the, 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 the proof. The, the, there is leaning to say from the words of the Gemara, there are some, there's some elements of the Gemara that seem to imply that it's a procedural issue. And there are other elements of this passage of the Talmud that is implying that it's a, 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 a jurisdiction type of an issue. Rambam seems, when you're looking carefully in Rambam, it seems that the Rambam is negating both these ideas. That it, in other words, neither is it a, def, is it a defect or, a, or is a fault in the psak, in the, in the verdict, or in the, in the judges. Okay, let's see why. From this that the Rambam says, from this that the Rambam says that the Sanhedrin that opened up in capital punishment cases, and they all said Chayev, this person is Potter, Hold on. So from this that the Rambam says, instead of saying, um, well, the Gemara is lush and it's not the Gemara is, learns, okay, that's, the, that's, 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 I think, the proof. Hold on, let me remember here. Just give me one second. Why that is so. Hold on, I need a second over here. Why is it so? Where do you have them? Because this is important. This is all leading up to something very, very, very exciting, but I need to get to that. Just give me one second. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, the, 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 the Rambam is an interesting idea. The Rambam did not give any reason. The Rambam just states the halacha. The Rambam, unlike the Gemara, that gives a whole explanation. Since they need to be up all night, and they're not up all night, so you can't, you, 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 they're, 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 they cannot fulfill one of the criteria that is needed in order to be able to execute, uh, to, fulfill, to, 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 to be able to fulfill this thing. So the, the Gemara gives an explanation. Rambam doesn't give an explanation. Rambam just states the facts. The facts are that you need to have Amongst them, those that are willing to acquit, at least from the onset, there had to be. He doesn't give a reason. Now, the fact that Rambam doesn't give a reason is not a question. Rambam is different than the Gemara. Talmud is here to give the reasoning behind laws. Rambam is here to give you the dry law. Halacha. The Rambam is a book of halacha, not the reason for the halacha. That's why actually many people that argument had... had um, Complaints on the Rambam. Many, many great rabbis, when the Rambam wrote his book of halacha, there were great um, opposition against the Rambam. Because the Rambam said about his book that, that you don't need any other, you don't have to study the Talmud. Because that's too difficult. To be able to know how to live your life as a Jew by, through the Talmud, almost impossible. The Rambam says, unless you're a genius and you're a huge scholar and you know the whole Torah, you can derive. Because the laws of Torah are scattered all over and you need to be able to compare and analyze and most people can't do that. So the Rambam says, I'm here to resolve the problem for the Jewish people. You learn Chumash, learn scripture, 
Tanakh, and then I'm giving you the book of Shulchan Aruch. According to the Ramam, his book was supposed to serve as the final Shulchan Aruch, code of conduct. So, the, so the, many of the challengers of the Ramam came and they and they and they yelled and said, "Hold it! It's it's not right that you didn't give any reasons for why when you when you come to a verdict and paskin so and so and so you give a you give a halacha lemaisa, an actual uh, uh, decision making. This, if you at least gave your reason, then people can argue on you." And they say, this is your reason. We can say the reason you're giving, I can argue on the reason. But if you're not giving a reason, as if, as if you're like Moshe Rabbeinu, <laughs> and just handing the word of God, as opposed, hey, the Ramam is Moshe Rabbeinu, is Moshe to Moshe, no come to Moshe. But at least in the Ramam's generation, now we look at the Ramam like, you know, non, you can't argue on Ramam. I mean, we can't argue on Ramam. His, his colleagues of his generation could. But we can't. But, but the idea is, someone comes in, our, in, in, in this generation, he gives you final law, and doesn't give you his reason. If you give a reason, then we can know what you're based on, and we can argue on the reason. And if we see that our reasoning is different than yours, and we realize that your reason is faulty, we can argue. So, but again, Rambam wrote a sefer without reasoning. Okay? So that's not a question. In this case, however, the Rambam should have given the reason. If we're going to learn, again, that the Rambam holds it's a procedural issue. Why? Because then the reason is not a reason, the reason is more the, loch, the halacha itself. What's the halacha? The halacha is you need to be up all night when you give a case. That's halal. And that's like, that's a tenai, that's a condition in the, in the, in the Beisden's um, 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 conviction. In order to convict, the Beisden needs to be up all night. So comes out the, and in this case you don't have that. So comes out the reason is not so much a reason as much as it is part of the halacha itself. And therefore, if that would have been the motivation of the Rambam, then Rambam should have put that reason. And he doesn't. On the other hand, to say that the Rambam holds it's a jurisdiction problem, that the based in themselves are not qualified, because once they saw guilt, they are not qualified uh, to, 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 uh, on this person, they have no rights on him anymore. They have no uh, authority over him because they can't be judges. There's a default in them. That's not mashma from the words of the Rambam. Why? What the, because then the Rambam should have said, Poitrin oisai. Poitrin oisai means they dismiss him. The Rambam says, Harei ze he is potter. Implying that it's not a, they dismiss him because they have a problem in trying his case. He is potter, meaning... Um, and, wait, and the Ramam says, and you can't kill him. And when could you? And the Ramam concludes, add until until things will change around. And you'll have a change in the court. Some people will come up with what? With virtue. And once you have that, then you can try the case. And then you can kill him. Seeming to imply that they're not disqualified essentially. That right now there is a there is there is a problem. But it's not that they're disqualified. If they would be disqualified assembly, they would be off. Ramam says that that um, eventually you'll find some people will find merit, then you can try the case. So it, it implies for Maimonides on both ends that Rambam is not, 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 not seeing it as a procedural issue. He's also not seeing it as a jurisdictional issue, a disqualification of the judges. So what could possibly be? I hear the brilliance over here. This is, this is, some, this is on a different level. So let's first understand if we say that the problem is, as we spoke earlier, deeper than just 
a, a technical problem, but a disqualification of the judges in this capital case. There are some of Farshim that want to say, and we're going to negate this, but let's see. Some of Farshim want to say, and it's a very logical reason why these judges are not kosher. And they, and they say because if, if initially the first take is that everybody finds the person guilty, they, there are three different reasons in which we would say that there's something problematic with these judges on three levels. Level number one obviously could be that there's a bias. And no one even suggests something. They come, they're out to get him. They don't like this guy. This guy was a troublemaker already, and she, you know, he's, uh, from when he was a little kid, he was making everybody, he was, he was making everybody's lives miserable. They finally got him, you know? So it could be they're not really judging based on the case. There is ulterior motives over here why this guy is disliked and why they want him. So the, in other words, it creates enough as a suspicion that it's not a pure case. It's not being judged based on the merits of the case. It could be there is a bias over here against this guy. Okay? Um, that's possibility number one. Possibility number two is it could be that these judges are simply not qualified judges. Because had they know the halacha, Torah has so many like loopholes. And <laughs> Torah has so many, there is so many, so much criteria that you need in order to be able to really convict, especially when it comes to a capital case. It's very hard. If no one can come up with any exemption for this guy, these guys probably don't know how to learn. If they would know how to learn, you'd be able to, you can dray it around until you'll find something. It doesn't mean that the something is going gonna, is gonna to sway the case, but at least someone should be saying something. If they're not, it must be that these guys are just ignorant people. They're just not qualified to be judges. I'm not ignorant, but they're lacking in their, in, their, in their grasp of the law. Okay? Who was it, the great rabbi, you said? On every single thing, I can give 49 reasons to say it's tahar and 49 reasons to say that it's that's how it is with Jew, Jews are always one guy says one there's always opposite opinions and the fact that no one is coming up with an acquittal over here something is wrong or it's possible to say that they probably or you can say that it's not a problem in their bias in their judgment it's not a problem in their in their lack of knowledge but it could just be that they they were lazy and tired and they didn't give it the due diligence that it's needed so these would be three reasons why to disqualify them as judges. The Rebbe says that I have a problem. And the Amr Farshim will learn this way in the Gemara. Again, they're not analyzing Rambam, but that's their reasoning for this halacha. The Rebbe's problem with this is very simple. The Rebbe says that who are we talking about? From the Gemara, it seems to imply, from the Rambam at least, at least in the Rambam, in the Rambam, it seems to imply that we're talking not just about the court, but we're talking about the Supreme Court. Rambam is referring to, uh, first of all, there were some girsais in the Rambam, some actual um, versions of Rambam, where it mentioned Sanhedrin Gedola, the great Sanhedrin. And even if we, even without that, it implies that that's the case. Because you know what's happening over here? We say the guy is dismissed, patronize him. If, the if we're dealing with the lower court, why dismiss the guy? These per people prove that they can't handle the case. So what happens? The case should move on to a different court. Let it go up. There's a court, there's a hierarchy. So in a case for that, so if these judges for whatever reason can't, have proven that they are not fitting to, to, to judge this case, then why dismiss? The case goes up to a higher court, to a... 
So it would seem to say, if we say the person is dismissed, is because we're talking in a case when there is no higher court. Why is there no higher court? Because we're dealing with a case that for whatever reason is already at the highest court. And in the highest court, the Sanhedrin that's sitting in the base of Mingdash, the 71 Sanhedrin are looking at this case and no one finds any, 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 any way to, to, to exempt this individual, okay? So the Rebbe argues and says, on this it's very hard to say that there is some kind of a lack of judgment. They don't know the halacha. We're talking about this is the cream of the crop of the, of, of, of the, of the Jewish people. Even the lower Sanhedrin, the Rambam says, we only put people in Sanhedrin who are super duper scholars. You know, these guys are going to be super mega scholars. These are not regular people. That's even in the lower Sanhedrin. Who makes it up into the highest Sanhedrin? Only the greatest geniuses and those who master the Torah on the highest level. So to say that they tired and they didn't look into it the way they should, to say that they were biased, or to say that they don't know the halacha, very hard to accept. And therefore, there might be perhaps a complete other way of understanding all of this. It goes much deeper. I just really love the way the Rebbe shifts it and looks at this so much deeper and it's like, wow. And he says, no, no, no. Again, especially since according to the Rambam, the emphasis is that Harei Zeh Pater, this person is Pater, it's almost like the reason he's Pater is because of him, not because of them. It's not their issue, it's his issue that makes him be Pater. So get ready for a massive spin on all of this. So the Rebbe says like this, what's punishment in Torah? Torah is a Torah that comes to fix. Torah is called, Torah is, it comes from the world, of, Torah is the, is the, is the, is the ultimate uh, uh, instrument of tikkun olam, to make the ultimate tikkun in the world. Torah is rectification. Torah we apply, for example, all the mitzvahs in the world come to take a world that is broken, a world that is confused, a world that is, that is, um, that is, that, that, is uh, that is in a mess, and, and, and the, Torah, the world of chaos, and the Torah comes to make order in this world. We know that the ultimate objective of Torah is to fix the objective of Torah in this world. I'm not saying the objective of Torah. Torah is God's infinite will that has no purpose. It's beyond purpose. But its application and its descent into this world is for a purpose, and that's to fix this world. Now, when we say fixing a world, we don't mean fixing a world globally and dismissing the particles. It means fixing every single detail and sub-detail in this world. Torah fixes everything, from the inanimate to the human, everything in between, from the tiniest subatomic particle to the greatest, vast uh, worlds. And the Torah is rectifying everything. And that's in everything, including, and obviously very much including, the punishment, whenever the Torah is being harsh. The Torah is not punishment. Torah's punishments are not here, God forbid, to take vengeance. Torah, uh, vengeance is a prohibit, prohibition in the Torah. You're not allowed to take revenge. When the Torah gives a punishment, it's because through the punishment, the individual is fixed. It's doing a repair in the person. And there's obviously different kinds of punishments. If you have a monetary fine, it's because through the pain you have by making that pain. First of all, you're fixing something, that, the damage that is done to that individual. Plus, the pain that you go through, through this, causes a certain kind of a tikkun in your soul. It despoils you a little bit. And so is a monetary fine, this kind of punishment. Sometimes there's a punishment of lashes or whatever it is. All these things fix meaning. And that's why the Rebbe actually points out very interesting, and in, in, in I think some letters, the Rebbe points out that in the Torah there's no punishment of prison. 
even though based in would imprison people, but that's not an official Torah punishment. Why? Incarceration usually only helps to take the, this, this person who is a threat to society and remove the threat. But it's not doing well for the prisoner. Quite on the contrary, for the prisoner, most of the time, sitting with other people who are corrupt, they, they rub off on each other, and most people who are in jail and come out of prison end up doing crimes again and again because being in jail, the longer they're there, has a very negative effect psychologically on people. That's why uh, it's, it's, it's not the best way of dealing with problems, incarcerating people. Because again, when you're incarcerating people, the, the court system is not concerned with the well-being of the criminal. They are concerned with uh, the guy, you know, to warn others, there shouldn't be other offenders. And it's kind of, it's, it's good for the general, it's not necessarily good for this individual when, when they're giving a punishment. Torah's punishments are not that way. For example, when it comes to lashes, the Torah says that um, once they, they gave the guy administered the lashes, the person is then considered a tzaddik. You're not allowed to consider him any more a wicked person. Once they got their punishment, he's back your brother again. Before that, he was considered a rasha, a wicked person. Once he's done his, his thing, he's a tikkun. Now he's a corrected human being. He's a holy Jew. You're not allowed to like, tease him about his past. It's, it's a fixing. It's a, it's a correction. And even death... When the Torah prescribes execution of a person, means that this person, in their current physical incarnation, they can't fix. There's no repair that could be done. If the Torah is recommending death, means that this person's diseased soul, that this person's corruption, that this person's damage that they've wrecked on their own being is not fixable in this body anymore. That's it. But... It doesn't mean, okay, take him out of the body. No, the death itself, the pain of the death, the, the experience of the death, the, 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 the trauma of it, that itself is a tikkun on the neshama. That's why the Ramam says that all the people who are, get capital punishment go to olam haba. Providing they also do tshuva. They, they're supposed to repent when they die, but when they do tshuva, then they go to olam haba, they go to the world to come. It's a punishment in this world. Even achan... He was the person who caused the Jewish people to fall at war because he took from the spoils of Jericho, right? Yerichai, which considered a very severe sin. The Torah said, the, the, the Pasuk says, ya, ya, yakracha Hashem, God should uh, darken you in this world, but not in the world to come. So even though he, he, he was put to death, but he went to Olam Haba. So you see that the Torah's punishments are always for a tikkun. But then there are situations where a person's sins and someone's misdoings are so bad that even death and putting them to death cannot bring a rectification for their soul. Obviously, it doesn't mean they're not rectifiable, but it needs some other type of a purification and some other kind of tikkun that can only be done by Hashem and uh, through the afterlife and whatever this person is going to go through. Let's not think about it because it's not too comfortable to think about, but it's pretty, pretty difficult and harsh. And uh, death itself cannot be a kapar. In cases like that, here's, here, here's what the Rebbe is saying. In cases like that, there is absolutely no reason for the basin to kill, to execute. A person who, so basically what, what we are really saying is that it's a privilege in a sense. For, I mean, Rahman al-Islam, no, we should need this privilege. But being 
punished by the base, then it's actually a, a, considered a, a good thing for the person. If they're exempt in case, like in this particular case, it's because it's an indication that um, the repair of death is not, it's not a strong enough treatment. And if it's not a treatment that's going to work, why bother someone? It's like, God forbid, someone is sick with, uh, God forbid, a terrible disease. And there's a certain treatment. And, and, and the treatment causes, is very painful. But when will you give that treatment? If there are chances that the treatment will help. If the chances are that the treatment won't help, why put the person through a miserable treatment for no purpose at all if the treatment won't even help anything? Obviously, it's a, very, it's a simple medical decision which people take every day. There are certain times where people say, you know, we'll give up. And that's not do the treatment. Let the person die peacefully because the, the treatment is just, it's very, very, obviously, that's what you need. A doctor, you have to make a decision. If it's worth it, but at least there's a chance. If there's zero chance of administrating a treatment, why administer a treatment when it's not going to help anything, right? Same as with this Beisden's, Misa's Beisden, capital punishment, according to the Torah, is always a treatment for the healing of the person. But obviously, it's a very nasty treatment. It's a very horrible treatment. And it's only going to be administered if it can bring the positive results, results for this individual. If it cannot bring the positive results for this individual, there is absolutely no use in giving the person the treatment. For example, the Rebbe gives an example. There is a halacha. Let me give an example. The Torah says that one of the 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 evils or one of the sins punishable by death. By the way, if you're listening to this class, it doesn't sound like all my other classes because we're talking about punishment and negative and all this. All this is just going to a place where at the last minute everything is going to spin around totally upside down from everything that we're saying. Understand something? So, so bear with me. Don't hang up now, okay? Because then all you heard me speak is some Musar Digga talk. So I don't want anybody to <laughs> wait to the end, okay? Bear with me just another five minutes, okay? We're getting there. So here's the idea. Um, uh, oh, th there is a, one of the sins that a person's punished with death is if a person takes their children and they give it to the Molech. Molech was a certain time of, of Avodazara, a certain type of a, a form of idolatry. So the halacha is, if you give a person, a parent, gives their child over to the Molech, that's a very severe crime and they're put to death. But, this, but we learn now from Apostle that's only if a person gives one of his children to the Molech, or two. But if a person gave all of his children to the Molech, they're not punished. Now, go explain that. What's the rationale behind it? If they gave all the children, this is the person didn't leave, didn't leave over even one, 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 one redeemed child, one healthy child. They corrupted every single one of their children. Oh, the answer is because this sin is so grave. You took every single one of your children and you wrecked their soul by giving it over to the idol. That's too grave of a sin. Death won't save this, won't help this individual. We say the same thing, and this will explain another interesting halacha. There is the law also, I think, in this week's parsha, which is called Edim Zomamim. Adam Zomimim means when there are witnesses that are proven that they were false witnesses because they couldn't have seen it because they were somewhere else at the time of the crime. So if it's proven that they're Adam whatever punishment they wanted to do to someone else is done to them. If they wanted to cause this person to get lashes, they get lashes. If it was a monetary fine, they have to make the fine. And if it's a death that they wanted to cause someone to die, they're to put to death. But the halacha is they're only put to death if 
they intended to kill the person, but the person, but in the end, they caught it before the person was killed. If the person was actually put to death, the basin does not punish them by death. You hear that? Only if they caught it before Bazin had a chance to execute this individual, then two other witnesses came and disqualified them. Then they, there's a trial on them and they get the punishment. But if it actually happened already, and we were already after the funeral of this individual that was wrongfully put to death, because it was proven that it was wrongfully put to death, but at least they were not witnesses in it, they're not killed. Why are they not killed? So the Kesef Mishnah explains, one of the commentaries on Rambam, and he says, because once the person was killed, their sin is so big that killing them is not enough. It's not enough. So they have to suffer, God forbid, terrible suffering after when Hashem will take care of it. You know, on the, on the, Similar to the concept, I know it's a harsh concept, but sometimes we say, we know Gehenna and Purgatory, sometimes souls are in such a situation that they can't even go to purgatory. They're, they're, they're neba. That the purgatory is considered a relief because once they're there, they can never take them before. There's such a mess that that... Okay, let's not talk about dark stuff. So this is the idea. Torah is all about tikkun. Torah is not about chas and punishment and harshness. If the tikkun can't happen, then the tikkun can't happen. So here we have a case. So now let's take a look at this individual. You have a guy who's sitting in front of the big Sanhedrin that we spoke about before. These are Sanhedrin who are meant to have bright eyes and to be able to see the good in every individual. To look deep, to see the good. If, if this person comes before the big Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin examines his case and no one has, the person is such a monster. <laughs> this is the says. The person is such a monster that no one can say anything good about him. Obviously, this is a very, very dark situation. An extremely dark situation. In a case like that, what does the Ramam say? This person is pot. He's pot. It's not a problem in the basin. It's not that the brazen is not looking well. They're, they're looking up Torah. The dying can only see what their eyes see. If the basin can't see his chus in this individual, can't see a merit in this person, must be that his crimes or whatever he's done is so terrible that they can't fix him. That they can't want, that they can't... So, so there's no use to put him to death. That's why he's exempt. He's exempt because he or she are in a state where they're not... Okay. But the Rebbe says, hold it. And here's where he turns it all around. But he says, hold it. If this is the case, what does the Ramam say? He is putter. Again, blaming it on him, but in a way where, as we said earlier, the words are just, we can't execute the actual verdict. If this person is not treatable, that means the whole, the whole application of of the Beisden's um, uh, of the Beisden's judgment is not applicable to this individual. When he walks into court, he's not court material. Because what's the court? The court is really, according to Torah, the court is another form of rehabilitation. Some people can be re rehabilitated in their life. Some people, the to according to Torah, according to law, their rehabilitation requires, God forbid, them ending their life. But that's their re that's their rehab. These people can't be allowed in. This person can't be allowed into rehab. He's, it's like um, turned down from the rehab. 
if they're turned down from the rehab to begin with, so they're not with, in other words, let's use these words, they're not within the parsha of rehabilitation. If that's the case, it's not potter that this, they can't technically uh, administer the punishment. They're not material, so it's poitrin oisoi. The person in general is not shayach to the punishment, is not, is, not with, is not treatable. That's the point. The, the entire person is not treatable. If that's the case, it's more than just this particular verdict can't be applied. The whole thing is not, is not, is, 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 the person is exempt from the entire, not exempt because he's above it, he's ex- he or she is exempt because he's below, he or she are below it, but still they're exempt from the whole thing, from the Lashon of the Rambam, which is at Ezeb Potter's, implies that only one, this particular punishment, they can't get. So therefore the Rebbe goes, based on this tiny little diuk, on this tiny, and he suddenly says, oh, hold it, hold it. Let's not write off Jews over here and say that those are not redeemable. That's not true. That's not true. Is there ever, that's what I began the class with. Is there ever a Jew that is unredeemable? So here, let's go back to what I said at the beginning. Essentially, the soul is holy, the soul is godly. It is not possible that there is someone who has no good. There is not possible that there is someone that is essentially evil that doesn't exist amongst a Jewish man or a woman. Ayid is a, is a piece of God. God is good. And that peace is good. Any type of negativity is that the goodness of the soul, the beauty of the soul, the goodness of the soul became concealed and covered. Got covered. The Rambam actually has a psak halacha. The Rambam has a law regarding actually giving a divorce where a husband is reluctant to give a divorce and the Torah wants the divorce to happen. So the, halacha, the, the law is that it has to be willfully. We know the law. The law is that a man has to, if a man is going to give a divorce, it has to be with the consent of the husband. But what happens if the Bayesian sees a situation where, according to the Torah, it's unfair for this woman, the man must give the get, he's not cooperating, and so on and so forth. And they can't coerce a get because a get is not. So the answer is you coerce him. But it has to be given willfully. So Ramam comes, says, so the Gemara says a strange thing. The Gemara says that you beat the guy until he says he wants. You gotta have a willful. So you beat him until he says he wants. And once he says he wants, now he wants it. So he was given willfully. So when you look at that top passage, that, the, the reasoning of that is so faulty. What are you playing around over here? Were you, Obviously, the guy doesn't want to give this because he's been yelling. You beat him now. He's in pain. He can't stand that they're beating him with a club. <laughs> and they're breaking his bones. He's in, he's in agonizing pain. So he says he wants. He doesn't want. So the Rambam comes and gives the first, like, <laughs> a thousand years ago, the Rambam already starts speaking about the subconscious. It's amazing. 800 years ago, before anybody even dreamt of such a possibility, the Rambam says, you don't understand, the Jew loves God, the Jew wants to do everything godly, everything the Torah says. Every Jew in the subconscious is holy. There's a problem. There's an outside block that's covering his true will. The will of every person essentially is to do what God wants. There is a cover-up, there's a concealment. So the Rambam says the beating is not, he's not saying he wants 
because you're beating him. He is, wants so badly to do what the Beisdin is telling him because he wants to do what God wants. And the Beisdin is following Torah. And according to Torah, he's supposed to give a divorce. He really wants, but he himself is trapped in his own, in his own mind, in his own, in his own Yetzahara. His Yetzahara is blocking him from himself. So who are you beating? According to the Ramam, you're beating the Yetzahara. Once you beat the Yetzahara, you knock him out of the way. You allow for this person to communicate his, his or her true will. And once they're conveying their true will, they're doing what? So the, basically, Ramam is saying that the, the desire to actually follow the court is his or her true desire. Even though to us it looks like it was compelled and it was coerced. It's not coerced. That Rambam is telling you an essential idea. It sounds like a Hasidic Torah coming from the Rambam 800 years ago. This idea that there's no such a thing as an evil Jew. There is a Jew who's acting evil. There's a Jew who's covered in evil, but there's no evil Jew. At the core, there is always good. If that's the case, it's impossible, the Rebbe says, it's impossible that there's no virtue on a Jew. It's impossible that someone created such a heinous crime that there's nobody that can find any good. Why? Because every Jew is essentially good. The difference between good Jews and what we call bad Jews, between good people and bad people, what would be the difference? The difference is how much is expressed in the revealed human being. Good people, their essential goodness is fully revealed. People that are not, and then there are the regular people like us, who at times some of our good is revealed, and sometimes not such good as, sometimes the selfishness covers on the goodness, and so on and so forth. So we're a mixture at times, and that's the, all the human beings. And then there are people whose goodness is, it's not easy to, 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 to detect it, but you need to have special eyes of special people who can find the good even in people which other people dismiss. They can have subtle eyes. The Beisden is like the master of the master. The Beisden can find good. <laughs> That's why they're the Beisden. They're trained. That's the idea that the Beisden has to be Nevonim. Nevonim means maven davar mitoch davar. They can look at an action that's bad and discover a deep godly motivation that's motivating the bad. That's not really bad. It's really a good thing. It's like sometimes we watch kids that are taking drugs and stuff like that and we think they're bad kids. And at times it's nothing that, it's not that at all. These kids are aching for godliness, they're yearning for something higher, and they're just not getting it, and they're in pain because they're feeling disconnected from Hashem. And it's come. So you have to be able to see the, the crying neshamas that are behind sometimes, things that are, seem on the outside to be bad. The ultimate people who should be seeing are a judge. A Jewish judge means someone who has broader eyes, who can uncover, who can unearth, so the Rebbe says, if you have a Beisden, hear the story, if you have a Beisden who's looking, now which Beisden? The greatest Beisden who sits in the base of Migdash. The divine presence is amongst them. So they should have the most expansive vision and the most penetrating eyes that can smell out and sniff out the tiniest little vestige of good that's buried under a huge heap of, 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 of darkness, a huge heap of junk. If this person's good is so buried and he's so hidden and is so concealed that even the bait now they're not doing anything wrong because they're examining the case to the best of their ability and they're implying and they can't find it that means it's so concealed that means there's no room for punishment here why is there no room for punishment because if punishment is therapy if punishment is rehabilitation you can't rehabilitate evil 
you can only rehabilitate good. You have to find good and good you can fix. If you can't find good, then you can't fix. Since what they see is only bad, in other words, they're seeing the outer crust and they're not penetrating the soul because it's just this guy buried himself under a shell of darkness that's not penetratable, at least not with the court. They cannot administer a treatment for this fellow. So the, the person is not ready. Put it, This person is not ready for punishment, which the punishment would be his healing. They're not ready for punishment. That's why Rambam doesn't say this guy is exempt because there's no such a thing that a Jew who's not redeemable, you can't punish him to fix him. There's no such a thing. It's just that in this case, that's why I said, it's not like we turn this guy away from the rehab because we say, you are a lost case. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that technically now, for whatever reason, we're not, we're not, we can't treat you. Not that you are not treated. There's a big difference. You are not treatable means we're dismissing the Jew. There's no such a thing as dismissing a Jew. Because if a person is essentially good, there's no such a thing that there is no tikkun for this individual. It's just that you are not with us. Treatment cannot work. Because we need to work with a point of good. And if there's no point of good, if I can't see the good potential in you, I have nothing to fix. And I can't punish. So the person is turned away. But the Rebbe says, guess what? This very idea that we reach a point where we fold our, our, our hands and we say we can't treat, guess what does that do? What do you think it does to this individual? When he is told that his case is so lost that even Bazin can't kill him, <laughs> what does that do? So it reminds me of the story of the person, the rabbi, who came across this person and he said, oh, you're so ugly. Remember the story? The great tzaddik, the great rabbi of the sages said, came across this person and he said, oh, wow, I never met such an ugly person like you. And, like, and this person got very insulted and offended. So obviously everybody's jumping on the story. What do you mean? How, how does a rabbi tell someone you're ugly? And he's like, like come on, a little menschlichkeit. And the explanation is given, and again, also from the rabbi, the rabbi gives the explanation that this person was was, 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 was uh, you know, was a mess, was a total mess. And by him telling him that he's ugly, made him realize his ugliness. <laughs> and because he realized his ugliness, it shook him up. And when it shook him up, it broke the ugliness. Because that's when he had the first time in his life, this individual had a little tshuva. His physical ugliness was a derivative of his spiritual selfishness and complete. So when he realized that he's not, that he's so ugly, that itself made him do tshuva. Because his answer was, go... <laughs> Go tell the craftsman who created me. Remember that? He said, you say I'm ugly, but this is the first time he recognized that he was created. That he, that he, that he, because he realized that I didn't make... In other words, he didn't, take, he didn't take credit for his own ugliness that night. See, he always thought he was like the best guy. So he took self-credit. But when he was told that he was ugly, and he realizes... So he said, oh, if I'm ugly, it's God's fault that I'm ugly. So at least he recognized God. He recognized the creator. At that moment, he wasn't ugly anymore. That's the point. So at this moment, when the basin turns this guy away and they say, listen here, everybody over here says, we can't, we can't even fix you. <laughs> You're not repairable. This guy, that itself cracks the person open. And therefore the Ramam says a moment later, what does the Ramam say? <laughs> you can even see it in the words of the Ramam. He says, everybody says guilty. This guy is dismissed. Ad, what are the words of the Ramam? Ad, until some people pipe up and they say, oh, they find this chus. 
then we can kill him. If you suddenly have people who find merit, then, oh, then we bring him back into the base and we can kill him. You can kill him. So what does that mean? The punishment can be executed. That means the moment they turn him away and he suddenly realizes that he's unredeemable, he has a moment of tshuva. He has a moment of, 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 of purification. And at that moment, suddenly they can st- the good in him comes out. And as the good in this individual comes out, what does it do? They notice it. And once they start speaking about it, it goes even further. Once they start speaking about the virtue, when you speak good about another individual, what are you doing? You're watering that goodness. You're flat. And it begins to flower. It begins to develop. So the goodness that you're talking about, the schus that you're talking, the merit, the good that you're finding in, the vision, in this in the vision, that they start seeing and they start talking about, actually activates that goodness. Once it activates the goodness, now you can begin the repair. Sadly, in this individual, they have to take his life, but at least they can repair him. They have something what to work with, as opposed, and the person can come to all the mahaba and all the all the thing. But it's all because the. So, so what's, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is like this. There's no such a thing that there is someone who has no good. There's no, that doesn't exist. It's possible that that goodness is not reachable by the eyes of the basin. And in that case, as we said before, punishment cannot be given. But that's not meant to be that way. What's meant to be is if there is such a situation. It's like the Rebbe Rashab once said something really phenomenal. The Gemara says that there are certain people. The Gemara says, Shaita, a fool. Asal arachamal, you're not allowed to have compassion on a fool. Someone who's a fool, you're not allowed to have compassion. So some people use that as an expression. This guy is such a fool. Such a, in other words, we, sometimes you have a situation where you help a person once, you help him twice. And you help him and help him. And then they're just foolish. They're just reckless and they act irresponsible. They do stupid things. And then you feel, then you know that it's, it's just, it's, it's, but you feel like you're an enabler, right? If you, if, you, if you enable them, so then you're just enabling. So, then you're now, so the Gemara says, if someone is such a fool, you're not going to have mercy on them. So someone once said that in front of the Rebbe Rashab regarding someone who needed help, and they said, the shaita, this is again. So the Rebbe Rashab said, the fifth Chabad Rebbe said, Oi, what a Rachmanis on someone that the Torah says, you're not going to have Rachmanis on him. Oi, you hear that? He says, Oi, what, a, what kind of compassion is there on someone that even the Torah says you now would have compassion? So on him, it's like the ultimate compassion. <laughs> so that's the whole idea. The whole idea is when you come to a conclusion that someone is not redeemable, that itself opens, cracks the, the darkness since, since, since there's no such a thing as as, 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 and as unfixable and unredeemable when it comes to a Jewish soul. Every Jew has hope. So now, if this is true, the Rebbe's conclusion and takeaway from all of this, that if this is true regarding a person who did the worst sins, the most heinous crimes, that the big basin can't find the merit, even on him we say that essentially there is merit, it's just that they can't, that he is potter, not because he's outside of redemption. 
How much more so when it comes to Jews in today's days where people who are not keeping Torah and mitzvot, it's not their fault. It's not because they were educated, not because they were learned. We have to reach out to them and uncover their heart. Even when you meet a Jew who seems to have an icy heart, a cold heart, looks at you and gets upset if you're asking him you know, to do a mitzvah, to put on tefillin, to give tzedakah, to, to, to keep Shabbos, to get involved in anything, gets angry and is such an anti-religious person. Sometimes you mind people that are so, it seems to be like venom and angry, like an angry Jew who hates Judaism and everything about it. Never accept that. It's just not true. It's, 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 not, the re it's not who they are. We don't give up. Especially during the month of Elul when the king is in the field. And people are far more, not just people, but ourselves as well. This applies to us as well. That um, God forbid for us to think about ourselves that we're ever beyond repair. No matter where, what, where, and when. And even if we find, according to the Torah, that the Torah says you're not repairable, that itself is meant for what purpose? To break you so that the truer, truer... It's like the famous story where the Gemara where the, where it says about Elisha ben Avua that uh, he heard a heavenly voice that came out and said, Shuvu banim shayvama. God said, my wayward children do tshuva. Chutz me'acher, besides you. Everybody should do tshuva. Besides, I'm, him, one guy I'm not calling. What was that meant to be? So the Gemara says, if he would have pushed, he would have been able to do tshuva. Even though he was told, and the deeper explanation is that why did they announce that? Everybody do tshuva. Was that announcement itself was to give him such a shake-up that God is saying everybody do besides you. You think God has nothing else to be busy with but you? <laughs> why is he saying but you? It's because he wants to shake you up that you're not redeemable. And when you're not redeemable, it does gufaraya. And this itself is, 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 is meant to, sh to, to, sh to give someone, oi! And that I makes you redeemable. That's the whole point. Chas v'sholem, God forbid, to ever be in a state of repair, despair, regarding ourselves and regarding other people. No such a thing. Every year there's hope. Every Jew needs to be reached out to, to with love, with compassion, with caring. And if we're not seeing it, it's because we're not looking deep enough. We're not looking deep enough. That's the Emma's. So may we merit. The Eberster for sure sees what the Bezdin can't see. The Eberster sees the toiv, the good, it's in our hearts. The infinite good, the boundless good, the truest truth of each and every one of us. And therefore it's for sure that that the Eberster who judges us, the Eberster also brings a Hatzalah, which is the ultimate redemption for the Jewish people. So even if, you know, we say that the Mashiach can't come, only the generation is only Chayev, there's no such a thing as a generation only Chayev. It's a thin veneer of guilt, chas Underneath it is infinite merit and infinite goodness, which the moment that we bust, we break through that external clipper, the depth of Gazemar. So it's, I think, a little wrong to say that I was saying before that every person's got this little tiny essential. It's not a tiny. It's, it's the entire human. It's the real Jew. It's super mega infinite goodness. The klippa might be thick, a crust, but it, all it is is an external crust, maybe a couple of, a couple of centimeters 
or inches maybe the most deep of, 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 of gook. But if you dig, you'll definitely find the beauty of the Jew. The true emes dig a beautiful yid who loves God, loves Torah, loves mitzvahs, loves everything about Judaism. And that's our work. We're the diggers. We have to dig out the good. We have to dig out the gold. We have to dig out the truth in ourselves and in every single one. We should merit a ksivach simatev and a good kebenjdiar.